Uh, why don't you turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, the words are going to appear on the screen, uh, but it's probably worth having it out in front of you because we're going to uh, track through the first 11 verses of Isaiah 14. It's just handy to have it in front of you so you can check that what I'm saying is actually true. Um, so Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid, said the towns of Judah. Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Before we look at those verses... And you might be wondering, what on earth has that passage got to do with Christmas or Advent? And hopefully I'm going to explain that to you. But I wonder what you would say is your favorite form of escapism. What's your favorite form of escapism? What is your favorite way to escape from some of the unpleasant realities that we face and engage in something completely different uh, for a couple of hours? I imagine, imagine for many it's perhaps a good book or a film uh, exercise or getting out into the countryside, or perhaps actually escapism has taken on a more serious and damaging hold on you. Drink or drugs, for instance, going out, perhaps sex or social media. We all go somewhere, don't we, to avoid having to think about certain things or to escape from the pressures of life. And perhaps none more so than what we've all faced over the last 18 months. You know, during 2020, Netflix added 36 million new subscribers, which took them over 200 million. That was the biggest rise they had ever experienced. Uh, online alcohol sales almost doubled, and we're talking in the billions of dollars. It doubled last year. And Ofcom projected that half the UK adult population watched online pornography during the pandemic. Isn't that devastating to hear? 
that so many people are going to these things for escapism, to escape the realities of life. A slightly lighter example of escapism was found in South Korea during the pandemic in which the consumption of hot sauce, uh, which researchers have said is a form of escapism now, in which for those few minutes that your mouth is on fire, it's very difficult to think about anything else. (laughs) That's what South Korea have discovered. Hot sauce is the answer. Um, But whatever your experience is over the last 18 months, it has been a period of serious discomfort, hasn't it? It's revealed to us how fragile life really is and where we place our confidence. The, the loss of life, job uncertainty, separation from family and friends, health concerns, and on and on it goes. And it's not clear when it's going to end. And as we come to Isaiah 40, we come to somebody who knows that very experience. In fact, when we look at the verses preceding this in chapter 39, Isaiah himself has been talking to a king called King Hezekiah, and he's telling him, listen, things are bad at the moment, but they are going to get even worse. Judah will be rescued from the Assyrians, but they will fall into the hands of the Babylonians. The king, the treasures of the kingdom, the people will be dragged off to Babylon, and nothing will be left for them. Invasion, genocide, human trafficking. Those are the themes in chapter 39. And then come these great words in Isaiah 40 and verse 1. Look at them with me. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And what follows in the next 11 verses, and what we're going to go through this morning, is four comforting Voices, four comforting voices that that we can listen to today. And so the first comforting voice is the voice of forgiveness. If you just look at verses two and three, you know, the major theme of Isaiah really is that the brokenness and suffering that Judah was experiencing was justice for their sins. That in some senses, the chaos. And the discomfort that they're experiencing was nothing more than what they deserved. It didn't mean that each individual Israelite was equally deserving of what was happening to them. But rather that the pain of exile, the conquest of their nation, the destruction of the temple was all in fact a work of God. A strange work of God who was unrelenting in his goodness and holiness. Who was faced with a people that were rebelling against him, his own people that had turned away from him. And here's the thing, you you cannot find true comfort unless you can also find divine forgiveness. You see, the disorder and discomfort that that we face comes from the fact that we live in a world under the judgment of God. We, We live under the curse that started with Adam in Genesis chapter one, or in chapter 3, and that, that continues as we live for ourselves, when we were made to live for God. And it's why all those distractions that I've talked about won't work. You will not find true, lasting comfort in a new TV, or a long holiday, or a better job, or a bigger house, 
Because discomfort comes from something much deeper than any of those things. We live in a world that has been ruined by Adam's sin. And we face the uncomfortable punishment of that curse from a God who's unrelenting in holiness. And then comes this tender voice in verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That word double means the exact reflection. It's like a perfectly folded piece of paper where the punishment perfectly matches exactly to the sins that have been committed. Judgment has been the double of their sins. Now for the first hearers of this, the news points to the end of exile. When they hear this, they think, oh, exile is going to be finished to a time where they will be able to return to their land, to return to Israel, where God's punishment has been fully satisfied and they can return. But still, the Old Testament never sees the final fulfillment of these verses until the arrival of Jesus. And in fact, for those in Jesus' time, they hadn't really experienced the reality of that too. You know, their, their country was still in exile to a certain extent. They were now being occupied by the Romans at the time. And so it's in Christ that we see this return from exile as he provides the forgiveness of sins through his death on the cross. The Bible talks that, about the fact that Jesus is like the second Adam whose righteous death stands in for Adam's selfish life. The exact double. So that for those who trust in Christ, their rebellion with God is ended. Their sins are pardoned and forgiven in the work of Christ on the cross. Now many of us will have heard that many times before. But I want to make sure that we hear this voice clearly. Because the truth of Isaiah 40 is that comfort flows to us as we listen. So let me just put it as simply as I can. In the midst of our discomfort, in a world of chaos, sin, disorder, there is someone who can bring complete forgiveness. Someone who can wipe away all our guilt, not through any achievement or price that we pay, but through Jesus' life, his death, bearing the punishment for our sins, the exact double for our sins, and that person is Jesus. And knowing that and hearing that, true comfort can be ours through him is so important. Isn't that amazing news? That Jesus provides the exact double, exactly what we need. He is sufficient for us. And so it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you think you're smashing the Christian life or you feel like you're hanging by your very fingertips. If you trust in Christ, that is how you stand before God. Whatever you've done, there is a match of mercy in Christ. However deep you have fallen, 
however far you've wandered, however much you don't understand or whatever doubts you might have, Christ's death is enough. It is enough. In Christ, comfort is ours because our sins have been forgiven. Christ's death, Christ's forgiveness should therefore compel us to live for him, to get right with God. And I wonder if many of us, including myself, have what a a guy called Jerry Bridges called respectable sins. Things in our life that we just kind of put to the side and don't ever deal with. Or perhaps we've just got used to it. We've just got accustomed to it. We think, ah, it's not that bad. It's fine. Christ didn't come just so that you could stand here and I could stand and just say, that's fine. He gave his life. He gave his life for you. For everything that we've done wrong, he gave his life for you. And it should compel us to live for him, to search our hearts and say, what areas in my life are not right with God? Perhaps you've looked for things and comfort in other places and actually you need to experience the forgiveness of Jesus again. Come to him. Come to him. So that's the first voice, a voice of forgiveness. The second voice is a voice of certainty. Look at verses three and four. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The second voice changes the angle to now zoom in on this traveler in the verses. And and it's not the Israelites returning from their exile, but rather God coming to his people. Prepare the way for the Lord. God is the traveler in these verses. And Mark's gospel picks up these words, doesn't he? And and says that this is John the Baptist crying out into the wilderness, making ready for the arrival of Jesus. It's why we look at these kinds of passages at Christmas time. But these, because they point to the birth of Jesus, but these verses also point not to just Jesus' first arrival, but to his second coming too. You know that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And we see in these verses that the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. Now, there isn't much detail about what that's going to look like. How is this going to happen? If, you, if you're people who like, like a plan, you're probably not going to get the plan from these verses about what on earth is going to happen. But there is something else. There is a certainty to this plan. Even, though, if, even if we don't see the details, there is a certainty. Let me try and show you. If you look at those verses, the highway is made straight. The valleys are lifted up. The mountains are made low. The rough ground is leveled. And the rugged places are made plain. These verses are not to show the detail of the plan, but rather that nothing is going to stand in the way of Jesus' return. Nothing is going to stop the arrival of Jesus full stop. 
not the stable in Bethlehem, not the census that we read about in the Christmas story, not even the evil plans of Herod in which all the sons would be killed. Nothing is going to stand in the way of Jesus' arrival. And nothing will stand in the way of Jesus' second coming when he returns to judge the world. All obstacles, Isaiah says, are going to be removed. And why will they be removed? Why is there such certainty about these plans? Well, look at verse 5. Because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Last month, uh, I took my eldest daughter, Maddie, uh, to her first firework display. And she was utterly mesmerized by them. As each firework went off, her eyes would be wide open, taking in all the light. And then that would be that, that delay... And they just, the bang, and then they just kind of jump. But she just wanted more and more and more. She became a firework addict by the end. Um, And uh, it it was brilliant fun. And I decided against giving her a physics lesson, um, partly because I'm rubbish at physics, uh, on the differing speeds of light and sound and why we see the firework before we hear it. But it did make me think about how we know God. You see, when it comes to knowing God, it works in the reverse way, doesn't it? We hear God first. The sound of God's word comes to us, comes to our ears before we see the fulfillment of those words. We hear about the return of Jesus before we see the return of Jesus. And so the Christian life is about believing what we hear before we are able to see it with our own eyes. And that is faith, isn't it? That's what faith is. It's not a blind wish or a a leap into the unknown. We believe because we have heard, even though we have not seen. But here's the thing. When a firework is launched into the sky, how do you know you will hear the sound? How do you know you will hear the sound? Well, because you've seen the flash, and the sound is yet to arrive. You know it's coming when you see it, but it hasn't arrived yet. And in the same way, and I think in a profound way, when God speaks, the action is certain to follow. It is because God speaks that things come into being, that things are set into motion, and you will see it. It is a certain plan. So when God says he has a plan, a plan to send his son to save his people, you can know that it will happen. The plan was spoken in action in in Genesis 3.15, and he will send the one that will crush the serpent's head. That being spoken means it will happen. And now that we hear that Jesus will return, we can know that it will surely happen even if there is a delay. And Isaiah says, comfort. You've heard the plan and now you will see it. It's a voice of certainty, of authority that that cannot be thwarted. And so Isaiah is saying, be comforted in God's certain plan. Thirdly then, the voice of promise. 
verses 6 to 8, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. You know, these verses are often read out at funerals, not, not at Christmas time. Um, so where's the comfort in verses like this? Well, it's not in the fact that we die, is it? There's, there's not much comfort in the idea of death. And yet there is comfort written all over these verses. Isaiah, Isaiah says, our lives are like grass, like fading flowers, as if God would just breathe on us and we would keel over and we're gone. There's no real comfort in that on its own. In fact, that's one of the most uncomfortable realities, isn't it? Death. It's one of the most uncomfortable realities that no matter how old you are or how healthy you might be in this moment, one day we are all going to die. I don't know if you've seen that Twitter account. We will die. We will die. It go, it, they tweet it every single day, and people retweet it. One day you will die. One day you will die. And people retweet that as like some kind of remi- morbid reminder. And even, even if that day does come in 30, 40, 50 years' time, that time will go in a flash. And that's why you won't find any lasting comfort in your career or health. Or being married or being a parent, great as all those things are, none of them will last. There will only be temporary comfort in them. But Isaiah cries out, he declares it with great confidence, the word of the Lord will stand forever. The word of the Lord will stand forever. It's something that you can rely on through life and into death. Not just for now, but eternity beyond the grave. From the God whose word comes first and his acts surely follow, his word, Isaiah says, is lasting. Now Christmas is a season, isn't it, of of joy and hope, but it's also one of great sadness, isn't it? It's a time when friends and family gather together and in those moments we often remember those people who who used to be with us empty seats around the table and it's a reminder isn't it that life is like grass here today gone tomorrow where do we turn to for comfort in the tears of our temporary lives where can you go well Isaiah points us to a word that lasts forever, in which God comes in paths made straight to forgive our sins, a word which promises that Jesus will return and bring us through life and death to be with him. But the fourth one, and if you've clocked out at this point, re-engage with this one, because this is the best one, a voice of peace. A voice of peace. The fourth and final comfort is this voice of peace. And in lots of ways, we've, we've kind of scaled the heights of this passage, haven't we? We've, we've heard about forgiveness. We've heard about the certain plan of God and an unshakable word that carries us through life and death. But I think Isaiah saved the best till last here. You see, forgiveness is brilliant, 
but not if it just leaves you with a blank slate and nowhere to go. Likewise, a certain plan is great news, but it really depends on what the plan is. And here we get to see the climax, the end goal, the summation of all these things, which is in verse 10 and 11. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This then is the ultimate comfort. Not just that your sins are forgiven, not just that the plan is trustworthy, not even that his word is everlasting. It's that through these things, Jesus comes to be our shepherd. The picture here is of closeness and care that that God has come near to us to live with us. In the message of our culture is that discomfort and suffering is something to be avoided. We either ignore it, fill our lives with distractions, the pursuit of happiness, to block out those negative things. Or another strong idea is that somehow, if we do enough good things, that will outweigh the bad things, a kind of karma. But actually, suffering is much more complex than that, in that we live in this broken world because we've rebelled against God. That's the message of the gospel. And yet, God has called us by name, just as we've heard, to live a different way. The discomfort of our world isn't solved by the things that the world is offering us, but rather it's found, Isaiah says in verse 11, in the presence of God. That's where comfort is found. And these truths will ultimately be fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. When he comes and makes all things new, a world where we will have no more pain or suffering, where we will be with him. But they also come, don't they, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter who has come to bring the presence of God into our lives. And Christmas in this season of Advent, where we prepare ourselves, don't we, to celebrate the coming of Jesus, is also an opportunity to remember that Christ didn't come with a political agenda or an authoritative decree, but he was born into poverty and vulnerability. He experienced discomfort and challenge in order to bring us comfort and peace with him. We are carried in the arms of our great shepherd. When we became a Christian, he he made that choice to carry us and we can come to him. That is where we find true comfort. I'm just going to invite the band up and Pete's going to lead us in communion for a minute but just while we're while they're getting themselves ready just want us to take a moment of of quiet to reflect on these four voices that we've heard forgiveness certainty a promise and this voice of peace perhaps there's one voice in particular that you need to respond to 
we'll just take a minute to do that. Uh, but before we do that, I suspect we're also in contact with lots of people who you see around you who are desperate, in desperate discomfort and need Jesus in their lives. People who we work with, people in our families who don't know him. And it's hard, isn't it, to see that around you. It can feel helpless. And Christmas, as Peter said, is, is a wonderful opportunity to extend the comfort that Jesus offers. So on a very serious note, invite people along. Bring them to a Christmas service. You never know what might happen if you did that. If they hear at 8 p.m., they're going to hear Pete speak about Emmanuel, God with us. Let's consider who we can invite along, not to fill a building, and then we all go away happy, like, oh, it was a nice hour of service filled. We want to tell people about the comfort of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. So let's take a moment to reflect which voice do you need to listen to today, and then Pete's going to lead us in communion.